Welcome to the uh, Biblical Worldview class at Training Day. Let me uh, open this up in prayer here and we'll get started. Dear Father, we love you. And um, Father, you, you spoke the world into existence. And you created us in your image and you created us uh, with value and dignity. And, and that value and dignity we get because you, you made us in your image and not because of what we can do for others or not because of any value somebody has assigned to us. And so... We praise you. We thank you for this morning and um, just a chance to get together and just learn about your word and learn more about you. And I pray that uh, I pray that we would think deeply today about the things that that we're hearing and things that we're discussing. And I pray that it wouldn't just be three hours on a Saturday morning that it would end there. But I pray that uh, you would just uh, grow fruit from what we learn today and from what you teach us, each of us, and that we would go out and and live a life. Living, uh, looking at the world through your truth and your lens. In your name we pray, amen. Well, my name is Sammy Duran. I'm a, I'm a member here at Watermark. I'm also a Longhorn grad. Anybody else? Any other Longhorn grads? Hookums? Hookum? Any Aggies in the room? Couple, couple of Aggies? This might take a little bit longer than we thought then. It's, it might the talk kind of slow and use small words, but... Uh, well, I'm a Longhorn grad. After I uh, graduated from UT, I went to go work at Frito-Lay, which is where I'm still at, seven years later. And uh, my wife and I actually just celebrated our two-year anniversary, too. My wife is here. Yeah. Uh, no kids yet. No kids. But we did just buy our first home. And uh, it's kind of a little bit of a fixer-upper. And we got kind of ambitious with it. And so, so we're quickly learning that fixing up a home and remodeling a kitchen isn't quite as, as easy as what they make it seem on HGTV. So <laughs> we're having fun with that, but it, it's fun to be in that new home. But what, I'm here to, what we're here to talk about this morning is a biblical worldview. And over the last uh, several months, JP and Bobby and I have been going through what's called the Centurions Program. It's a, it's a program led by Chet Colson uh, on biblical worldview and really by some of the other great Christian minds in our day. And we've just learned a ton. We've learned a ton. And what we want to do today is just is share with you what we've been learning. Share with you what we've been learning. And so I'm going to spend the next few minutes talking to you about what is a worldview? What does a worldview even mean? And then I'm going to spend some time going through some of the major worldviews of our day. And, and I'm going to show you how we can objectively compare those worldviews to determine which one is truth and which one conforms to reality. And then and then Bobby's going to get up here, and Bobby's going to tell every single person in this room why you think the way you do. Okay? And he's going to, he's going to talk through the, different, uh, the development of different worldviews over the centuries. And then JP's going to come up um, and, and talk and wrap it up and talk about what does it look like to go out and live a biblical worldview? What does it go out to? How is the gospel encompassed in this worldview? And so this, this idea of worldview is really a buzzword, right? I mean, especially in Christian circles, you hear worldview and it's, I remember when I started this program and they were saying, oh, Centurions, you know, it's such a good program and worldview, it's so important. And, and I, frankly, I didn't even know what worldview meant. I was just like, I didn't know. But as I went through this and, and as I learned what the scripture call, scriptures called us to, and as I learned what it looked like to have a biblical worldview and, and how the scriptures called us to see all of reality, all of the world, every single aspect of society through a, through a biblical lens and through a biblical truth, it, it really did change the way I saw the world. It changed the way I lived in the world. I, I'll tell you, um, I'm, a, I'm a huge movie fan. I love movies. Anybody else love movies in here? Braveheart, anybody? Okay, it's my favorite. Um, I love movies. And, and I could watch a movie every single day of the week and, and never get bored, ever. I could watch two movies a day. My wife's here. She could tell you because I tried to do this. And, um, and I tell you, from what I learned from a biblical worldview, I'll never look at a movie in the same way again. I'll never watch a movie in the same way again. I'll never look at society or economics or art in the same way again. It's changed the way I view the significance of Jesus' birth, the Incarnation, it's changed the way I view the purpose that God has given us on this earth and what it actually means to go and make disciples and what it actually means to go and build God, God's kingdom. It's changed, the way, it's changed the way I look at what my purpose here on this earth is and, and what my purpose is even at, at Frito-Lay. And I'm, I'm never, I'll tell you, I'll never make another bag of Cheetos, Fritos, or Doritos in the same way after, after going through this program. 
And I, I mean, I joke about that, but I'm also being serious as well. So, so what does this worldview buzzword really mean, right? What's, what's the big deal here? I remember, um, I remember a couple years ago at Frito-Lay, I was, at this, I was at this huge department meeting. It was probably over 500 people. And one of the, the leaders in the organization got up and started talking and presenting. And, and one of the things he started saying was, you know, everybody comes up to me and asks me, hey, I want to know what my potential for growth is in the company. Tell me where my career is going. And so he stood up there on stage and he said, he said okay, he said, I'm going to tell every single person in this room right now what your potential for growth is in this company. And he throws his slide up on the screen. Okay, and everybody just all of a sudden just kind of kind of wakes up, and, and on this slide it's a, it's a triangle, and on one side of the triangle is the word capability, and on the other side of the, the triangle is the word ambition, and then on the other side of the triangle is the word sacrifice, and so what he says is it says you want to know where your career is going here, you want to know your potential for growth. It depends on what your capability is, so what your your raw talents and skills are. It depends on what your ambitions are, so so where do I want to be? And then it depends on what you're willing to sacrifice to get there. So, so, if you, so if you think about what he's saying here, somebody could, have, somebody could have all the capability in the world, but if they don't have the ambitions to get to CEO or executive position, or, or if they're not willing to sacrifice the things, he's saying, you're not going to grow here. On the, on the other end, on the other end uh, somebody could say, somebody could have some, some skills and talents and, and maybe isn't willing to sacrifice the things needed to, to continue to grow into that leadership position. So, so, so think with me here, okay? This guy is, is standing on stage in front of 500 people and he's saying, you want to you grab the steering wheel in your career and you want to have, have control over your own destiny? It depends on how you live this out. It depends on how you live this out. And at that moment in the room, every single person's worldview was telling them how they were answering those questions. Every single person's worldview was telling them where they wanted to be in the company and why, why they wanted to be there. And it was telling them what they were willing to sacrifice to get there. You could have had had a group or a guy walking out of the room saying, you know what, I I want to be CEO and I'm willing to to work 70 hours a week and and I'm willing to to travel five days a week and uh, I'm willing to move wherever I want to or wherever the company's going to move me to. Anything I have to give up for the company and move up. You could have had another guy that, uh, that is saying, you know, I'm just not willing to give that up. I'm not willing to give that up. I'm not willing to make those sacrifices needed. It all depended on their worldview. It depended on what they thought was most important in life. It depended on what they valued. It depended on what they thought their purpose was at work and what their purpose was in life. It depended on their worldview. And so, um, what, is, what does this definition of worldview really mean? There's a lot of them out there. I'm going to give you one that I think is really clear and simple. And if you have a pen and paper, um, you might want to jot this down. So, uh, a worldview... Yeah, anybody needs a pen? Bobby's got some there. A worldview is a framework of basic beliefs that we have, whether we know it or not, that shapes our view of and for the world. Okay? Let me say that, let me say that again. A worldview is a framework of basic beliefs that we have, whether we know it or not, that shapes our view of and for the world. And there's a couple different aspects of this definition uh, that I, that I want to break down for you here. And um, the first, first thing I want to point out is, is that everyone has a worldview. I don't care who you are. Everyone has a way uh, that they look about the world and, and a lens through which they look through. And if you walk up to somebody in the street and you ask them what their worldview is, they, they might just kind of give you a weird look and maybe run in the other direction. They might not know what, know what that world, word means. But if you ask them, hey, what, what, do you think, what do you think is like important in life? Or what do you think your purpose in life is? If you ask them that, they're probably going to have, a, uh, probably going to have an answer to give you. And so let me, let me give you a couple examples of, of how some of our modern day philosophers, is what I'm going to call them, um, answer the question, what is my purpose in life? The French philosopher Sartre argued, it was meaningless that we were born, it is meaningless that we will die. This guy was a real optimist. Okay? Uh, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong answers the same question, uh, what, what is my purpose in life? In the same way, he answers the same question like this. He says, yellow. Yellow wakes me up in the morning. Yellow gets me on the bike. Yellow has taught me the true meaning of sacrifice. Yellow makes me suffer. Yellow is the reason I'm here. Yellow. Life is short. It's better to win. 
What is yellow? Huh? Tour de France, exactly. Yellow wasn't just his favorite color growing up. I mean, he wants to win the Tour de France. That's the reason Lance Armstrong exists in his mind. Eva Longoria, um, another well-known philosopher, uh, says this. In, uh, says, in college, I went from being a Catholic to a non-denominational to being a Christian. I'm not sure I necessarily understand what that means. But, but she says, but now I just want to believe in a higher power. That's a good way to live. And this is where most of us tend to land. This is where most of us tend to land. Most of us tend to land in a place of, it really doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe in something. Absolute truth doesn't exist. What's ma- what matters is what's true for you. That's what matters. The second thing I want to point out uh, about worldview is that our beliefs and our view of God shapes our worldview. Our view of God shapes our worldview. So I'm a, I'm a big debater. I, I, love, I love debating. I love, I love sitting down with somebody and having an encouraging, respectful conversation when we have different opinions. Okay, I enjoy that. And my friends and family in the room could probably attest to that. Um, but here's the thing. Anytime I sit down with somebody and I talk to somebody about uh, government or politics or society or education... Or healthcare, okay? Anytime I have a conversation about any of these, all the conversations end up at God. It almost never fails. It always ends up going back to God. Why? Because your view of God is not just your view of God. Your view of God is your view of the way the world works. Okay, so it, it, me, as a Christian, when I sit down with an atheist, and if I disagree with the way that they think, we're, we're not just disagreeing about morality. We're disagreeing about the way the world is. We're disagreeing about the way the world works. My third point about worldview is that uh, the basic set of beliefs that we have that frame our worldview can really be understood by answering four big questions in life. Four big questions. And some people use five, some people use six, but they all get to the, to the main point here. And, and the way we answer these four big questions tells us how we see the world. It tells us what our worldview is. And the first question is, where did I come from? Where did I come from? What are, what are my origins? The second question is, what's wrong with the world? Why is there pain and suffering? Why did 9-11 happen? Why did the Oklahoma City bombing happen? Why, is there, why are there murders, right? Their question is, what is the solution? Is there a way out of this mess? And then four, what is my purpose? What is my purpose in life? And the way we answer these questions tells us what our worldview is made of. And and a worldview determines how we live, and it determines how we operate within the world. And and I think a really good illustration of this, let's see if I can get this up here, is is this diagram here that that we saw uh, when we were going through this program at our first residency in in Washington. And so, so you can see here, at the foundation of who we are, at the foundation here, I'm going to use my little laser pointer here, is our worldview. Our worldview is at the foundation of who we are. And our worldview shapes our values. Our worldview tells us what is important in life. Our worldview tells us what is right and what is wrong. Our worldview tells us what is worth spending our money on and what is worth spending our time on. And our values then shape our actions. Okay? Proverbs 20.11 uh, says, Even a child is known by his actions. Our actions show us what is important to us. And we do the things that are important to us. Why are they important to us? Because our worldview tells us it's important to us. People go out and, 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 and care for the poor, and care for the homeless, and fight injustice, because their worldview tells them that's important. People go out and party and get drunk. Because their worldview tells them that's important. People come up, people even come up to a church on a Saturday morning and, and listen to some random guy ramble about worldview because their worldview tells them it's important. Thank you, JP. I appreciate that. Yes, somebody got it. Are we awake? Who's awake? Raise your hand if you're awake. Come on here. <laughs> Alright, so um, our worldview isn't necessarily a view of the world that we think we have either. Okay, it's a view of the world that we're living now. It's a view of the world that we're embracing in our day-to-day lives. It's, 
It's the view of the world that's shaping our values, which then shape our actions. And sometimes, sometimes the, the view of the world that we think we have isn't the view of the world that we're actually living out. Okay? So go, let's go back to the, the original Frito-Lay example. Okay? And that guy who walked out of the room saying, I am going to work 70 hours a week, and I'm, going to tra- oh, I'm willing to travel five days a week. I'm willing to move wherever I want to because you know, being, a position of high, you know, being in a high position in the company is king to me, and so I'm sacrificing everything. I would argue that that guy could have been a Christian. I would argue that that guy could have been a believer in Jesus Christ, yet, yet the way that he was seeing the world and the way in which he was making decisions, the lens he was looking through, was not consistent with that which, which he had professed. I love, I love this quote by, uh, by Bill Brown, president of Cedarville University, who, who sums it up well like this. He says, You may not live what you profess, but at the end of the day, you will live what you believe. You may not live what you profess, but at the end of the day, you're going to live what you believe. So what? So, so what? So people have different ways to look at the world. So people have different opinions and, and ideas, and, and to each his own, right? To each his own. Well, ideas have consequences. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Thoughts and ideas mean something. Thoughts and ideas have consequences. Okay? And although they have consequences on the individual, they have broader consequences on the society as a whole. And, and a, really good, a really good example of this, I think, is, uh, is what's going on over in Europe right now. What's going on over in Europe. And I'm, I'm, not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be an alarmist here. Uh, but, I, but I am an engineer by background, so I, I like numbers and, and I like data, and so um, I'm a realist. And so this is what I'd say. By all indications, Western civilization is done. By all indications, Western civilization won't make it out of the 21st century. Why? Because they aren't having babies. They aren't having babies. For a country to replace its population, it has to have a certain number of babies. It has to have a, a fertility rate. Certain numbers say a country has to have a fertility rate or the number of births per woman between 2.1 and 2.4. Most European countries, their birth rate is below 1.5. And while these countries aren't having babies, which countries are? Was that? Islamic countries are. Islamic countries are. And they're having a lot of babies. Their their birth rate is between five and seven. If you look within Europe alone, the birth rate of Islamic countries is three times higher than that of non-Islamic countries. Mathematically, Islam is going to be the next dominant civilization in the world. So the real important question to ask here is why? Why, why aren't people having babies? And, and John Stone Street, who's a, uh, who's a contributor, uh, one of the teachers in this program, has a really interesting take on this that I wanted to, wanted to share with you. About 150 years ago, Europe embraced this idea of secularism. That, that God is a personal, private, moral choice that should not be uh, discussed in the public square. And not long after that, countries like Russia embraced full-on atheism. That a full rejection of God or any type of deity. But what both of these do is they remove God from his role as designer. And when you remove the designer, you remove the design. Okay? Sex is designed. Sex is designed by God to be enjoyed within the context of marriage. And what comes out of that? Babies. Babies come out of that as a consequence of it. And intimacy and oneness between the husband and wife. So when you take the design out of sex, now you don't need marriage for it and you don't need babies for it either. It becomes a personal, private, moral choice that really has no impact on others or society as a whole, right? You think worldview matters? 
think ideas have consequences? But which ideas are right? Which, which ideas are right? Everybody has their, everybody's got the truth. Everybody's got ideas and opinions. So, so how, do, how do we know what truth even is? And here's what I want to do. If, if, you've, got a, if you've got a pen or a piece of paper in front of you right now, uh, I want each of you to take the next 30 seconds or so and write down what you think the definition of truth is. Okay? Just the next 30 seconds. Any volunteers? Daryl? An idea that over time proves to be fact. An idea that over time proves to be fact. Yeah, it's pretty good. Go ahead. Say it again. The Word of God. The Word of God. Yep, that is truth. What is? Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Here's what I'd argue. I'd argue that, that, the, most, that, that the simplest way, the simplest way to define truth is, is in this way. It's to say that truth is that which corresponds to the way things are. It's, it's kind of like this individual said here. It's, it's what is. Truth is, is that which corresponds to reality. It, truth literally describes the way the world works. And God, in His goodness, has made this truth available to every single person. He's made it available to us through His creation. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The, the brilliance and the beauty of our creation screams the existence of an intelligent Creator God. God has made His truth available to us by writing it on our hearts. He's written the law on our hearts. We have a sense of justice. We have a sense of, of right and wrong that's, that's written on our hearts. He, he's revealed His uh, truth to us through His Word. Right? We heard that, too, through the Bible. But if you're having a conversation with a coworker or, or maybe a neighbor, and you're talking about truth, you can't necessarily just kind of flip to a, to a scripture in, in the Bible and say, hey, Jesus is the way and the truth of life because the Bible says so and the Bible is true. Like, you know, they're going to say, well, I, I don't believe in the Bible. And you're going to say, well, the Bible's true. I mean, God wrote it. And they're going to say, no, I, I really don't believe in that. And it becomes like this circular argument, right? So sometimes, sometimes what we have to do is, is we have to make arguments informed by Scripture that whimsomely communicate truth. And, and that brings me to the, to the fourth way we can know truth. God has given us a mind. And He's given us reason. And He's given us a free will to take that mind and take that reason and take the intellect and conduct science and to observe the universe and to objectively compare things, to understand and look at evidence, to understand what is right and what is true. And, and this fourth way in which God has revealed truth to us is, is, where, is where I want to spend the remainder of my time this morning. Okay, And, and what I want to do is, is I want to talk about how we can use our reason to objectively compare different worldviews and determine what is truth. Determine which worldview is truth. Which worldview actually conforms to the way the world works. And so what we're going to do is, is using this matrix here. And I think uh, there should be a handout that, uh, with this Blake matrix on it. So if you don't have one, just go over there to the table and grab one. But uh, we're going to compare some of the uh, we're going to compare, compare six of the most dominant worldviews in our day, okay? And we're going to start understanding how they tell their story of truth and how how they frame reality in their worldview. And so we're going to go over secular naturalism. We're going to talk about postmodernism. We're going to talk about Islam. We're going to talk about Eastern religions the New Age worldview, and then a biblical worldview. And what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to rough these up. We're going we're to really rough these up and put them to the test here. Okay? And, and we're going to see, at the end of the day, which one's standing when we compare them to reality. And what, the way we're going to do that is we're going to understand how each of them answers the four big questions in life that I talked about earlier. That every single worldview has to answer. So, so where did I come from? What are my origins? What is wrong with the world? Why is there pain and suffering? And is there a solution? Uh, is there a solution? Uh, is there a way out of this? And then what, what is my purpose? Because a worldview that you live by, it has to make sense. 
It has to be logical. It actually has to conform to the way that the world works. It's, it's like if you have a GPS, okay? And, and every single time you enter in your address into the GPS, it takes you to the wrong destination. Or, or, or maybe you enter in a friend's address, you haven't been there in a long time, and, and GPS is taking somewhere, and, and you get to a stop sign. You get to a stop sign. And you know your friend's house is, is right on that street to the right. You know it. You've been there before. But your GPS is telling you to turn left. There's something wrong with your GPS. You haven't updated the maps. It's not accurately reflecting the roads and the, and, and the way that the highways and the and stop signs are working. And in the same way, in the same way, when, you li- when you're living a worldview that keeps bumping up against reality in some really painful and unreasonable ways, you've got to question your worldview. So let's start with, uh, start with secular naturalism. So, secular naturalism is a worldview that pretty much says, there is no God, nature in the universe is all that is. It's all that is, there's nature. Uh, Carl Sagan, a great proponent of this worldview, actually said it this way, he said, the cosmos is all that ever is, or ever was, or ever will be. So, so where did we come from? In the in this secular naturalism, well, they believe that we came from uh, the primordial soup. We're we're pretty much the the products of time and chance. So they believe that at some point in the beginning of of creation, that chemicals came out of nowhere, okay, and that through random time and random chance, these chemicals formed amino acids, and then through random time and random chance, these amino acids formed in the right type of peptide bonds and and, and formed in the right sequence to build proteins. And then through random time and random chance, these proteins keep evolving and here we are. Okay? We're, we're grown-up germs is pretty much what, what they think. So, so since the universe came about for unknown reasons, though, and since life is here by chance, why do human beings, why are human beings born with any value? We're here, we came from a, a cesspool of, of proteins and amino acids and we're lucky to be here. It's just random time and random chance. So why am I born with any value? And if I'm not born with any value, what, what gives me my value? A person's value becomes a matter of choice in this worldview. You start determining who has value and for what reason they have that value and they, you also determine when they lose that value. And, and a really good example of this is a professor. At, at, at Princeton, Peter Singer. Okay, Peter Singer has a, has a class, and, and students flock to this class. Okay, and in this class, he, he preaches infanticide. He encourages infanticide. So this is the the killing or the, or the murdering of a of a newborn baby within 24 hours of its birth. So he basically says, hey, if the baby comes out and mom doesn't like the co- color of his eyes, or maybe it's deformed, or she just didn't realize how how much of a burden this was really going to be, get rid of it. Get rid of it. He believes that all life is equivalent. He believes that all life, animal and human, is equivalent. So there's nothing, there's nothing that distinguishes human beings and gives human beings any more value than a hippopotamus. This is really what he believes. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. If, if you believe what Singer believes, if you believe in this worldview that we came from random time and chance, then his arguments actually make logical sense. Why would we have more value than a hippopotamus? He therefore preaches that we shouldn't spend more. We shouldn't be spending money on on caring for the old people and the sick. We shouldn't be spending money on putting Alzheimer's patients in homes and, and, and caring for them, because that's money we could have been spending caring for animals that actually have a, a really good opportunity to to live a good life still. But when Singer had to face the reality of his worldview. When his mom got Alzheimer's, okay, this is what he said, and I quote, I think this has made me see how the issues of someone with these kinds of problems are really very, very difficult. You see, when your worldview starts, starts bumping up against reality in painful and unreasonable ways, you've, you've got to question your worldview. Okay, so what is wrong with the world in this worldview? Well, it's not our fault. 
we don't have any responsibility. It's all of society's fault. Okay, society is to blame. Society has oppressed us, and and um, some with this worldview actually even believe that since uh, since we came from this uh, Darwinistic evolutionary past, that when people commit murderous or even genocidal behavior, that it's just a result of their survival of the fittest past. It's it's their genes. They're they're basically saying their genes are making me do it. My genes are making me do it. It's not my fault. My genes are just trying to survive here. This is where I come from. There's no concept of original sin. You can see there's no concept of, uh, of an individual's responsibility. And uh, if, if society is to blame, what's the solution? You gotta give, if society is to blame, you've got to give more power to the state. Right? Society is the problem here, so, so you've got to give more power to the government. They're going to solve the problems. And, and when you give more power to the government, they're going to bring in an earthly paradise, an, an earthly utopia. Or, or, like Freud in this worldview, this is what Freud suggests is the solution. Freud thinks actually that, that we are, the reason that there's pain and suffering in the world is because we have all of these sexual pent-up emotions and inhibitions within us. And the reason there's, and, the, and the, the way that we can have redemption, and the way that there can be peace and harmony in the world, is if we all just release those sex, sexual inhibitions and go have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, that's going to bring peace and harmony in the world. This is a secular naturalist. This is a worldview. So what's my purpose in this worldview? What's my purpose? Eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm here because of, I'm lucky to be here. I'm, I'm here because of random time and random chance and nothing is my fault. It's all of society's fault. What else would your purpose be? Here's how one evolutionist, one evolutionist, Dr. William Provine, he's a biologist at Cornell University, states what Darwinism means. He says, no life after death, no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning for life, and no free will. He goes on to say that the only reason anyone still believes in such things is that people have not grasped the full implications of it. This is an evolutionist saying this. Is this a rational, livable, logical worldview? Postmodernism. What's going on postmodernism? Uh, where did we come from? Postmodernism believes in, uh, in pantheism. So uh, the universe, nature, and God, we're all connected. We are one. We are all one. So God, uh, so man is God. And, and some postmodernists believe in, in this, uh, or postmodernists believe in an, inter, excuse me, an eternal universe. So they believe that the universe had no beginning. Okay, so I told you I was a University of Texas grad. Um, I, I have an um, engineering background. Um, and so I studied... Uh, fluids and physics and stuff like this, so I'm going to ask you to humor me here for a second, because this kind of stuff excites me when we start getting into science. Um, so scientifically, scientifically, we now know, from the first and second law of thermodynamics, that, you, that the universe did have a beginning. Okay? The law of decay, the law of decay implies that the, that the, pro, that, that the universe is in a process of gradual disintegration. That, the, that essentially the universe is winding down like a wound up clock. Okay, this is what it means. And and if it was if it's winding down, it must have been wound up at some point. It must have had a beginning. The first law of thermodynamics, the law of conservation of energy, implies that matter can't just pop into existence. Matter can't just create itself. And so if the universe did have a beginning, then something external to the universe had to bring it into existence. Science has begun to show that the universe began at a definite moment in time in a flash of light and energy. And it's beginning to sound a lot like Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. Here's, I, love, I love this quote by Francis Bacon who said, A little science estranges a man from God, but a lot of science brings him back. I love that quote. So what is the, uh, what's wrong with the world? Well, society and Western civilization particularly has, has told us what is right and wrong. And they, they've told us what our values should be. And, and they've stereotyped you as a male. And they've stereotyped you as a female. 
And they've stereotyped you as a heterosexual and you as a homosexual. And, and so all these stereotypes and all these values and ideas that they're, they're placing on us, that, that's what's oppressing us and keeping us down. And, and that's why there's, there's pain and suffering in the world. So what's the solution here? Personal autonomy for all. The individual's right to choose. Choose what's right for them. Choose what their destiny in life is going to be. Everyone gets to be their own God. Absolute truth does not exist. Everyone gets to define their own truth. That, we get, that's what's going to be the solution here. And, and you need to make tolerance king. Tolerance, okay? Tolerance needs to be made king in this society. And, and tolerance, once meant, tolerance once meant listening respectfully to all different points of view in our common search for truth. That's what tolerance once meant. Now what it means, now what tolerance means, is that knowing the truth is impossible. Knowing the truth is impossible. So everyone's free to think and to act exactly like they want to, with one exception. With one exception. If you have the audacity to believe that you have the truth, and especially if God revealed that truth to you, then you're simply just not tolerated. I mean, they're preaching tolerance here, and they're completely intolerant to people that simply say, I have the truth and God has revealed it to me. It's contradictory. It doesn't make sense. What's my purpose? Uh, well, we need to free people from, from all of these values and moralities that society is putting on, putting on us. We need to free people from all of that and just bring it. And when we do that, then there's going to be a paradise on earth. And we get rid of all those values and stereotypes people are putting on us. So here's the question, though. If there's no basis for determining right and wrong, and there's no, uh, there's no objective standard of truth or goodness, then, then how do we know what would be in people's best interest? How, how do we know what a utopian earth is going to look like? There's no right and wrong. And everybody's going to have their own idea of what paradise on earth is going to be. Are all, the, are all the, their ideas right? I mean, we couldn't say that any of them are wrong. Right? That, that would just be intolerant. Raise your hand if you're still with me. <laughs> Alright. Okay, so Islam. Islam. Uh, where did we come from? We were created by Allah. Okay, we were created by Allah. The universe was created by Allah. Uh, but we weren't created in God's image. Because that, that's actually considered idolatry in Islam. Okay, uh, what's wrong with the world? Well, uh, they they don't believe in original sin. They don't believe in original sin, so they believe that we were given a free will, and they believe that in that free will we have rejected God. And so the reason why there's pain and suffering in the world is because we haven't obeyed the law of Allah. Okay. Is there a solution? Yeah, yeah, there is a solution. Um, Allah will give you salvation if He so will. So, if, if you repent of your sins and you follow the law and you do good works, Allah will forgive you if He so wills. There's no assurance of salvation in, in Islam. Every single Muslim does what they can to follow the five pillars and to pray and follow the laws, but no one knows if they're getting into heaven until they reach the judgment seat of Allah and Allah decides you're in or you're not. It's by arbitrary will of Allah. This is what they believe. There's no grace. Allah is this powerful, sovereign God, but He's not imminent. He's not involved in your daily life. He's not a personal God that you can approach. Or, or well, actually, sorry, I lied to you. I made a, I made a mistake. So there is there's one way you can know that, uh, that you're going to get to heaven as a Muslim. Anybody know what that one way is? Jihad. Jihad. So if you die in the jihad then Allah guarantees you a place in heaven. Okay? So what is my purpose? My purpose is blind submission to Allah. Blind submission to Allah. Okay? In Islam, you can't ever interpret or really understand anything written in the Quran. You, you can't use your mind and reason to understand the meaning of the texts and the, and the context in which they were written. The text is taken as literally true. That's it. Don't look, at, don't look at the context of the surrounding chapters or verses. That's it. That's the law. Follow it. Islam teaches that Allah directly controls everything. 
And so he can do so with the world as he pleases. He can do whatever he wants as he pleases. So, so to try to go out and conduct science, or to try to go out and find physical explanation, or try to understand the, the explanations of what governs our universe, is not only impossible, it's also inappropriate. The Orthodox Muslim thinker Al-Ghazali argued this. He argued that it was even blasphemous to consider the idea that there was such a thing as natural laws because it denied all his freedom to govern the universe as he saw fit. Is this a right and reasonable way to look at the world? That we can't conduct science? That we, that we can't go out and understand the natural laws that govern our universe? Does gravity not exist? Eastern religions. Uh, there's a bunch of kind of religions that are lumped up in here, a lot from uh, most of the religions from India and Asia, East Asia. Hinduism and Buddhism is, is, is in this group of Eastern religions. And so where do they believe, uh, where do they believe we came from? They believe, uh, a lot of them believe that the world is an illusion. So, so we're, we're living in a, in a dream world. So everything, everything that you feel here and touch, so that pen that you're writing with, the chair that you're sitting on, you're, you're all imagining that. It's all a dream. It's in your head. Anybody here seen The Matrix? Matrix? This is what it made me think of. Okay? So, I mean, everybody's living in this dream world, and for a lucky few, they get to take the right pill, and then they wake up, and they can see reality for what it is. This is what they think. Um... Eastern religions believe, uh, in uh, particular Buddhism, believes in an endless cycle uh, with no real meaning. So we're, we're simply being reincarnated in, in each life. So, so we're either living out right now or a good karma or a bad karma. So here's a question. If we're just in this endless cycle of, of meaningless reincarnation and we're living out a good karma or a bad karma right now, like each of you are, this is a worldview, why is there any reason to go and help somebody? If, you, if you're driving down 635, or you're driving down your neighborhood, and you see a guy on the street who, who needs, who's hungry or needs a place to stay for the night, why would you go and help that person? Did you get a good karma? Selfish reasons? That's exactly right. I mean, why, why would you help them? Because, because listen, they're getting what they deserve. They're homeless. Because they did something wrong in their last life. They don't have a, a place to sleep tonight because they just didn't live their last life well. They are living out the bad karma that they earned in their last life. And for you to go over there and relieve them of that karma, man, they might have to come back in their next life and pay that back. They might have to come back in their next life and pay back the karma, the bad karma that you relieved them from actually deserving and, and living out. And then that's not really good karma for you either, Right? I mean, that's not good karma for you to give somebody bad karma. It's not good karma for anybody to help, help people out and care for people in this worldview. What's wrong with the world? Uh, we, haven't, we just haven't got the right balance between good and bad yet. There's just, there's just too much bad karma going around. So, so what they believe is we do have bad pleasures we, or we do desire to, uh, to act out on bad pleasures. We, all of us have those kind of uh, desires. And so when we have those desires for bad pleasures, what happens? We, we act out on those bad pleasures. And when we act out on those bad pleasures, that gives us bad karma that we have to live out in our next rebirth. And then in our next rebirth, what happens? Well, we have those bad pleasures again. Okay? We have those bad pleasures. And then what do we do with those bad pleasures? We act out on those bad pleasures. Okay? And so then those ba- when we act out on those bad pleasures, that gives us bad karma again that we live out in the next rebirth. So there's this perpetual cycle of suffering here that goes on, uh, goes on in reincarnation. So what is the, what's my solution? They believe uh, that we need to, to find that place of higher consciousness in yourself. You need to, to meditate endlessly until you reach the state of really what they call being cool. Okay? Uh, you need to remove all those, all those cravings uh, of bad pleasures that, that are causing you to act out in bad ways. And, and what's my purpose? I kind of just have to accept the lot I've been given in life. I kind of I just have to accept where I am. I mean, if I'm homeless or I'm in a lower class of society, it's just the karma that I've been given. And I kind of have to hope for a better life the next time around. So I, I want to make sure that, I, that I, I, I try not to act out on those bad pleasures because that's going to 
provide the circumstances of my next life. So really, really what you're doing, your job here is, is to, is to work your way through the stages of reincarnation and to refine your karma. Okay? That's what you're trying to do here. You're trying to refine your karma, trying to re- remove those bad pleasures until you reach the state of nirvana, nirvana where there's absolutely no bad or evil pleasure that lies within your heart. That's when you've reached nirvana. So, I mean, if you look at this, are, are we living in an endless cycle of reincarnation with, with no real meaning that, that doesn't allow us to actually go, somebody, go and help somebody who's in need or provide somebody a meal? Are we living in a, in a dream state? Is everything we're, we're, we're imagining? We're imagining everything about our lives and, and once we wake up from that, that's going to make the world right? Is this, is this reasonable? Does this conform to the way the world works? Can you live this out? When you really, when you really live this out, what this worldview is, can you live it out? I would argue that you can't. New Age. Uh, where did I come from? Uh, New Age. They believe in, um, in a pantheism as well. So all, all objects, again, in the universe are one. Um, everything is connected by the same energy. So God is, God is uh, or excuse me, man is God and plants are God. Everything is God. And so they do believe in the biological evolution, but they believe that our spirit nature or morality and our sense of right and wrong came separately. So that could not have come from Darwinism and ev- evolution. So what they believe is, is the spirit nature came from what they call uh, the universe of the unseen spirit. Okay? Or, or what they call the supreme light. And so the spirit nature has evolved over the centuries and over the, over the, the, the stages to, uh, to get to be where we are right now. Okay? There's, uh, there's no concept of original sin. What's wrong, is, what's wrong in the world is that we, we haven't recognized the goodness living within us. We, there's goodness, which is God, that is living within us. And when we reject that, that's when pain and suffering comes into the world. Uh, what is the solution? Uh, the solution is that we need to, to realize our oneness with this impersonal life force. We need to realize that we are all connected. All of us are God. All of us have God living in us. And we need to, to realize that. And the way they do that is through different psychotechnologies. Okay? And there's a lot of them here, so I'm just going to read them. Different psycho, uh, the, re, the way that you kind of realize this oneness is through practicing different psycho, psychotechnologies like this. Yoga, meditation, Zen, Hypnosis, music, drugs, crystals, tarot cards, amulets, channeling, fortune tellers, psychics, and positive thinking. And all of this helps us realize oneness with the unseen universe of the spirit. And at least once in their life, or at least once in their life, New Agers have to take a pilgrimage to a place where Oprah was born. All right, I'm joking about the Oprah thing. Okay, uh, I'm joking about the Oprah thing. All right, but hey, some of y'all believe me, though, didn't you? Some of y'all believe me when I said that. That's how crazy this stuff is. That's how crazy this is. Okay, what is my purpose? I'm gonna have to fly through some of these because I got the five minute mark. Um, what is my purpose? Well, um, once a critical mass of people kind of understand their oneness with the universe, we bring in what's called the New Age, or the, the New World Order. You heard, heard that? The New World Order? Or what they call the New Planetary Order. So, so when everybody starts thinking in this one way and realizes that they are God and all energy is connected, then, then there's oneness of civilization, and there's a one world government, and there's peace and harmony throughout the world. It's a New Age. Okay. Question here, though. If everything is God, as, as pantheism says and as New Agers believe, then, then why do I as a human being have any more value than pond scum? I'm being serious here. I mean, I mean literally, like, this is what they believe. Everything is God. Why do I have any more value than pond scum? I don't. I don't. So, so why is there any reason for me to go fight injustice or to go help women that are getting sexually trafficked? When, then, when they're really not worth anything more than the bacteria at the bottom of my sink. This is, this is, really, this is really where this worldview ends up. Is that reasonable? Does it conform to reality? Can you live this worldview out? Alright, so let's take a look at the biblical worldview. Where did we come from? The world was created. The world was created. So everything that exists, God spoke into existence. And God is the ultimate truth. And He is the ultimate reality. And the reason that the world looks like it was designed was because it was. 
Okay? The reason that the earth is the exact right distance away from the sun that it should be to provide for human life, and the reason that the earth looks like it had a beginning, and the reason that the force of gravity is exactly what it needs to be to prevent the universe from collapsing back in on itself, is because there is a God and He created the heavens and the earth. That's the reason. God created us intentionally and purposefully. He created us in His image. And because of that, we, have, we are born with value. We are, we are born with dignity. Every single person, regardless of what you can do for society, regardless of what your personality is, regardless of what job you have, every person has value and dignity because they're made in the image of God. And so, therefore, we are compelled we are compelled to go and care for that person on the street who needs some food. We are compelled to go out, to, to go out and love people that, um, and are in our offices and love people that, that need a roof over their head or just need somebody to help them cook a dinner or mow a lawn. The reason we go do that is because every single person has value. We're compelled to do that. What's wrong with the world? Uh, well, we've, we have uh, the original sin, the fall. So Adam and Eve in the garden committed the first sin, breaking our relationship with God and bringing sin and evil into the world and, and, and breaking our relationship with creation. And, and so we, therefore, going on from them, being children of Adam and being descendants, we, we inherit this nature of original sin. We have a fallen nature. And so we continue to infect the world in this sin. And this explains why, this explains why children at the age of two or three, I don't know if you've ever noticed, they just kind of innately learn how, learn how to disobey their parents and, and just, just kind of like, even lie to their parents somehow. I'm not an expert on this. I don't have any kids, like I said, but I have friends that have kids and I have family members that have kids and I don't think their parents are teaching them how to do that. They're born with that. They're born, we're, we're, born with a, we're born with an original, an, 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 we're born with original sin and nature to sin. So here's, here's how Christopher Hitchens, one of the leading atheists in our day, Okay? One of the leading atheists in our day describes the biblical worldview's take on sin and evil. Here's what he says. He says, I would agree that if the Christian story was proven to be true, it gives a compelling and acceptable explanation for the problem of evil. A congruent explanation of which I can provide no other. This is one of the leading atheists in the world saying, hey, if, this, if Jesus existed then the way the biblical worldview explains sin and suffering, it's the only one that makes sense. But I reject Jesus, so I reject your explanation of sin and suffering. What, uh, is there a solution? Yeah, it's, it's atonement through Christ's death and resurrection. Jesus, Jesus, our, our, our God, entered into our world of sin and chaos. He entered into the world. He took on flesh. He walked among us. He died on the cross. He shed His blood, taking the penalty for our rejection and for our sins. And He rose from the dead to give us victory over sin and death. He's restored us to Him. He has redeemed us. He has given us a new heart with new desires. All of our guilt and shame is wiped away when we believe and trust in Him. And so, this God is a God who offers an intimate, personal relationship with us. This is a God who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is a God who walks with you through all of your pains and all of your troubles and all of your heartaches and all of the times in life when you're celebrating and all of your joy and happiness. This is, this is a God who we cannot earn His love. We can't, we can't follow certain laws. We can't follow certain pillars. We can't, there's not a path to enlightenment. Jesus, God Himself, humbled Himself to die for us he lived a life that we could not live and paid the price we could not pay so that we could have eternal life. And because of that, we know we will have heaven. We know we have assurance of salvation. And this, this wonderful gift of grace is not just offered to some people. It is offered to all peoples of all colors, of all societies, of all classes, of all countries. It is the ultimate proposal. It's amazing grace. The biblical worldview is, is reasonable, it's rational, it conforms to reality, our human condition supports it, and science supports it. Science supports it, reality supports it. And Okay, so I know I've, I'm going to wrap up here um, really quickly. I know I've given you, this is like a ton of information, okay? A ton of information, I realize that. Um, and if everything that I said here just went over your head, if everything just went over your head, I want you to remember one thing, just one thing, Okay? 
The only way that you can live a rational life is if you have a sense of inherent dignity and value that allows you to care for others. Okay, I would argue that's the only way that you can live a rational life. Is if you have value and dignity that allows you to go care for somebody or, or serve somebody or provide food for somebody. That's the only way you can live a rational life. And so, what we've seen is that the biblical, only in the biblical worldview are we made in God's image. Only in the biblical worldview are we made in God's image and therefore we are born with value and born with dignity. Okay? So, a couple of weeks, I'll close with this story. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife went to a sales training in Atlanta. And uh, their company's rolling out this new sales training technique. And, and they got trained by really one of the, the best companies in the world on, on this method. And one of the, the exercises that the facilitator did is, is they said, okay, I want, everybody, I want everybody in this room to think about right now, what defines you? What defines you? What, what gives you your identity? Okay? And he said, I want you to think about that and I want you to write it down on a piece of paper. And so he let people write it down and uh, people ran around and started raising their hands and volunteering what they, they said. And so people said stuff like, I'm a boss. Okay? I'm a boss. Or I'm a, I'm a manager. I'm a top sales performer. I knock it out of the park. Or I'm a husband. Or I'm a wife. Or I'm a father. Or a top producer. Okay? And he said, okay, good. Glad. You know, it's a good answer. He said, now this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine that you're on a beach. White sands, Caribbean blue waters, wind blowing. So it's a beautiful beach, but it's just you and the beach. Just you and the beach. Okay? Nothing else. And I want you to imagine on this beach that everything you use to describe yourself, everything you use to give yourself identity, you no longer have. It's gone. You no longer have your job. You're no longer a top sales performer. You never got married, so now you don't have a husband or wife or kids. You're not a manager of people. All of that is gone. It's just you and the beach. And he said, he said, now what I want you to do on a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to write down on a piece of paper. 1 being no value, 10 being significant, like a lot of value. He said, what was your value on that beach? What was your value? And so... Uh, so again, they went around the room and my wife said people started raising their hands and she said there was just, there was just a ton of ones and zeros. A ton of ones and zeros. Nobody thought they had value on that beach. Nobody thought they had value. And, and she even said that people were getting visibly upset, aggravated at the question. They were thinking, hey, I, I've worked 25 years in this company to get where I'm going to be. I've got 50 people under me. I'm a husband, I'm a wife. That is my life. And you're asking me what my value is on that beach when all that is gone? I can't even think about that. And then my wife got up and raised her hand. And she said, she said, I was a I was a ten on that beach. I was a ten. She said, I don't get my, my value and my dignity from from my work or my sales numbers or you know, even from my handsome, intelligent, wonderful husband. Um, I don't get my value from that. She said, I was born with inherent value and dignity. Crystal Duran, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? No. She said, I was born with that value and dignity. Okay. I was born with that. And so you see, if we aren't created by a God, if we aren't created by a God and made in His image, then every single one of us is a zero on that beach. Every single one of us. Because whatever we use to define ourselves can be taken away. But because we are made in the image of God, we have an inherent value, an inherent dignity. And you can take away our jobs, you can take away our sales numbers. You can take away our role as husband or father even. And we're still a 10 on that beach. We're not going to lose this argument because we have a bad case. We've got a wonderful case. We have a great case. Our case matches reality. Science validates our case. We're not going to lose it because we have a bad case. We're going to lose it because we don't know enough about our case. Colossians 2.8 says this, 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. We need to be a people who know the truth. We need to be a people who equip ourselves in the truth. We need to be a people who can defend the truth. And we need to be a people who live out the truth.